I introduced this last week. If you missed it, um, you can catch it online, grace417.com. You can catch it on the app. Um, and so what I was talking about, I introduced the, the book of Ecclesiastes, what it's about. And it was written by Solomon, and the most wise man that ever lived. And, and so he went through explaining um, what life is about. In fact, um, look at the, this is the verse that we've been kind of hinging um, everything on. Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, it says, To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. So the key words here are season and time. I'm sorry, I, I thought I had highlighted time. I didn't. But it's, it's, these are the two concepts we're talking about. There's everything. There's a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. So this idea of under heaven, under the heavens, uh, it's found 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's also found other places um, in the Bible. But as we look at this, it, 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 it talks about two different ways to live life. One is in time under heaven, and the other is seasons above heaven. So let me, let me break this down for you a little bit more. I, I really, I, I went to great detail last week. I can't do that again this week. But well, time is the here and the now. Time is the every day. Time is the, the temporal things of this world. Like Heather was talking about, it's the stuff, the stuff of life. Seasons are above the sun. That's the eternal. And so what we do is we find ourselves living in both at the same time. Uh, we find ourselves seated in church this morning thinking about maybe bills that we have to pay or thinking of stuff going on with our family or what are we going to eat for lunch or are my windows up in my car because it's raining. You know, all those kinds of things go on here and now. But the Bible also says that we're seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. And so there's this reality of living above the sun, understanding season, understanding a big picture of what God's doing, yet at the same time, having to deal with the everyday realities of time. And so how do we navigate that? And so as we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, as we did last week and again this week, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 3, uh, this is what uh, Solomon said. He said, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless. Some of your translations may say vanity of vanities. Uh, the message says it's all just smoke. It's not real. It's just, you can't grab it. It's not tangible. Meaningless, meaningless. Vanity, vanity, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Have you ever thought that when you've rolled out of bed in the morning? It's all just meaningless. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? So the question is, what do you gain? For everything that happens in life, everything that you do, this gain here is even like a financial term. How do you gain? How do you gain from what happens under the sun? From what happens under the sun, from what happens in everyday life, how can we live life in such a way that there's gain? Because Solomon's saying, it's all meaningless. It all doesn't matter. It's all vanity. It's not going to stick around. It's not going to last. It's all just a waste. There's no purpose in it. And so how do we live a life of purpose? How do we live a life of meaning? How do we live a life that has gain to it? Well, the way we do that is by living a life above the sun, not just under the sun. And so one of the ways we do this is by living a life of contentment, of having contentment. In fact, Timothy tells us how to do this. Um, chapter 6, uh, verses uh, 6 through 8, it says, But godliness... With contentment is great gain. 
It's that same concept, that same idea that there's to be something to be gained. And so the way we gain in life, the way we advance in life, the way life has meaning is when it's godliness with contentment. That's how we have gain in this life. So let me give you just a definition of contentment. Contentment is an inward state of peacefulness or happiness. Accepting is adequate and sufficient, despite wanting more or better. A mind that has accepted its current lot or state in life. A mind that is not always striving for more or better or different. Accepting your place or season in life. That's what contentment is. And so how does this happen? How do you have contentment? Well, really, you can't have contentment, real deep contentment, true contentment, without godliness. And it's godliness that that you have this godliness with contentment that gives you great gain. And so we have to have this godliness because godliness is about becoming. That's what godliness is about. Godliness is about becoming and instead of being about focused on finding or getting And so there's two ways to live life. One way to live life is a life of becoming. The other way to live life is a life of trying to get. What can you get? What can you take? What can you have? And so there's two different ways to live life. And so when we think of living a godly life, I think a lot of times our mind immediately goes to, you know, behavior, goes to moralistic things of godly means good. Um, and, and, And it does include all of those things. But what godliness really is, it's a relationship with God himself. It's pursuing him and him pursuing us and us doing life together. And as we're in relationship with him, we become like him. That's what godliness is. And have you ever noticed that when you hang around different people, like you'll begin to act like them, you'll even begin to talk like them, begin to use words like them. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that? Like we went to Oklahoma for a few days this week uh, for my grandma's funeral, and, and I mean, it was about 15 minutes of being in Oklahoma, and I'm talking like an Okie again. And I just, I mean, I got the slang, I got the word, it's all just, I mean, and I, once again, I'm having to get delivered from that. And it's just, but because I was hanging out with Okies, I'm going to talk like Okies. And when you hang out with Jesus, you start talking like Jesus. You start acting like Jesus. You start thinking like Jesus. It just, that's what happens. And so that's what he's talking about. Godliness, um, godliness with contentment is great gain. That's how you have gain in life. It's this, it's, it's like if, 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 if you're here this morning and you're single, right? Like there's two different ways to go about it. You can go about focusing on becoming the person God has called you to be. Or you can be focused on trying to find the right person that you want in your life. And, and, and you know, I saw an ad this week for something called FarmersOnly.com. Have you guys ever seen that? I've never seen that. That's hilarious, right? Like that is, that's great marketing. But what if we weren't worried about FarmersOnly.com, but we were working on ourselves becoming, becoming who God has called us to be? And I understand there's this tension Okay, there's this tension between just settling, this tension between just, 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 just laissez-faire, living life. I mean, we're believing for better. I, we, you know, we believe the Lord for different, for better. There's things we're asking for. There's, there, we know God has good stuff. There's this, there's this idea of at least what we think our idea of what a future could look like. And we're pressing, we're believing, we're asking. But how do we deal with the reality that we're in right now? 
How do you deal with that? How you see these other things, but what about what life is like right now? Well, that's where contentment comes in. That's where this, this balance begins, begins to, to take place. So we know that we know that that we even though we're in time now, we can see above the sun, we know what the Lord wants to do, and we know that He's working all things together for our good, that He's working behind the scenes, that He's working things out, and even in the situation you're in right now, that His grace is sufficient. That his greatest is sufficient for, for you. And so we go to this verse that Paul or Timothy here says, says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. We brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. That's what Heather was talking about earlier. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. You know what, you know what Paul's saying here? Paul's saying that with Jesus, if I have a shirt and I have a sandwich, it's enough. That's what he's saying. He's saying if I have a shirt and I have a sandwich, with Jesus, that's enough. With Jesus, a shirt and a sandwich is enough. He was content with that. How many things do we have to have to be content? How many things do you have to have to be content? What needs to be happening in your life that you can be content and I want to be content right now. Right now I want to be content and I want to be happy right now. What kind of does it take? Cars? Does it take houses? Does it take jobs? Does it take status? Does it take relationships? What does it take to make us happy? Can we be happy with Jesus, a shirt, and a sandwich? Because if we're not happy with Jesus, a shirt, and a sandwich, we're not going to be happy with Jesus, without Jesus, with a suit and a five-star meal. Right, because it's Jesus and being content with Jesus in a shirt and a sandwich is because life is crazy. We don't know what's going to happen. Life's full of curveballs. What do we need in addition to Jesus to make us happy? How many? If we, I bet if we did a poll this morning, I'd say that most of us have more than a shirt and a sandwich. Would that be? Well, I know some of you had jeans on. At least a few of you do. So we have pants. We have a shirt. We have sandwich. I mean, God's taking care of us. So wh- wh- how, do we, how do we handle, how do we process this? Well, Psalm 16, 6 and 7, the author of this psalm says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. You know, this is a verse I go to a lot. When I start thinking that, that, that my life is, 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 is troubled. I mean, I know you guys don't have any problems. I know that. But I have problems. I do. I have issues. I have problems. And I know I'm always telling you the problems. You know why? It's so that you'll know that at least you're better off than me. So you can turn to your wife and say, well, at least I'm not like this joker right here. Right? So it makes you, I know it makes you feel better about yourself. So you're doing better than you think you are. And so, and so but I use this verse. When I start thinking... You ever like start having a victim mentality or you start thinking that, oh, it's just, I know I'm the only one that ever does that. But, but I'll just say, Lord, thank you that the lot you have given me is good. The boundary lines you placed in my life, what you're doing in my life, it's good, God. Like you are working the big picture in my life. And I take pleasure in that, Lord. And I know you have a delightful inheritance for me. It's good right now. The, the places you've given me right now, the line you've given me right now, the, the places are good. But you even have an inheritance for me, God. And so it's having this attitude of, 
of just being thankful, of being content with what he's given us. Paul here again in Philippians says this, Philippians chapter 4. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in, I'm in need. He was in need. That's why he was talking about this. But he's saying, I'm, not, I'm in need, but I'm not saying it because I am in need. You know, you ever done that? You say, I'm saying, what I mean is this, not this, right? You've told people, that's what Paul's doing. I'm, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned. How I many you know we got to learn, right? That's what we're doing today. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. Next verse. I've learned the secret. It's a secret. Don't secrets happen in quiet? You know, aren't secrets shared in, in quiet times, in isolated times? That's what we find in our lives. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Can you say any and every? Any and every. One more time. Any and every. He learned the secret to be content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Right? This goes back to Ecclesiastes 3. We are talking about last week about there's a time for everything. There's, this, there's the good and the bad. And it all happens to all of us, doesn't it? We all have these different seasons of our life. And so we can find contentment in this whatever season it is, whatever's going on. How many you know there's good and bad in every season of our life, right? I mean, there is. It's a... Uh, you know, when, you're, when your kids are little, they're, they're so beautiful, they're so wonderful, you love playing with them, but you don't get any sleep, right? I mean, it's the good and the bad. When your kids are older, they can be your friends, they can, you can hang out with them, but they cost a lot of money, don't they? Right. And, and, and then, you know, and, and, and so, but there's good and there's bad in every season. And what we'll do is we'll live a season, all right, we'll live a season, we can so often be looking forward to the next season. And not appreciate the season that we're in. You know, when your kids are little, you wait, you're excited about when they're going to be older. Right? And then when they're excited about they're going to be older. Or maybe when you're in high school. Remember when you were in high school, you couldn't wait to be in college? You remember that? Oh, man, life will be good when I'm in college. And then when you're in college, oh, once I can get out of school, I can get a job. That's when life's going to, oh, that's when I'll enjoy life. And then you get out of, get out of college and it's going to be you get a job. And you realize you don't like that job. College wasn't so bad. And then it's, it's when I'll get a better job, or then I'll be happy when I get, when I get married, and then I'll be happy when I have kids, and I'll be happy when our kids are older, then I'll be happy when the kids are gone, and then you'll be, I'll be happy, and you look back on your life, and what do you call all that? Those were the good old days, right? Right? And so it's, and so we got to learn to be content in every situation, every situation, good, bad, whatever it might be, whether living in plenty or in one, I can do all this. How? Through him who gives me strength. That's the key. It's him who gives us the strength. We've learned to do that, that he will give us the strength, and I can do it all through him. So I want to say this. I, I, believe, I believe we expect too much from life under the sun. I think we expect too much from life under the sun. I think we expect too much from this life right here under the sun. So I think one of the things we have to do in order to be content, to find contentment, is that we have to right-size our expectations. We have to right-size our expectations. This is what we see in Timothy. Timothy's telling us that godliness with contentment is great gain. I think a lot of times we have unrealistic expectations, that we can have unrealistic expectations in life. I see this all the time in marriage. 
right? Like, I don't probably know a better example than marriage. And when I do, a, when I do premarital counseling, one of the things we always talk about are expectations. And, like, they're all over the place, aren't they, on what we expect, right? I know one of the evaluation tools that I use in my premarital counseling is it has an idealistic distortion factor to it. Because people are distorted by their ideal, idealistic expectations. And, and it's just amazing. The, and, and then marriages begin to, to break down, begin to fall apart because expectations aren't met. Because I said I would because you said you could. And then when you didn't, life didn't happen anymore. Right? And so we just have all these things that just break down. But, I mean, what, did, what do people think marriage is? I mean, who do they think they were marrying? Right? There's just, because it doesn't disappointment come between the difference between expectations and reality. Right? We have these expectations, and when expectations don't meet our reality, then, it's, then that's when frustration and anger happens. So I think one of the things we really need to do are right-size our expectations. I think our marriages would change if we just right-sized our expectations of that. You know, Heather's had to do that. She had, do you know that when Heather married me, she expected that I'd be able to fix stuff around the house. That was a bad expectation, right? At 22 years, I still, I still can't fix stuff around the house, right? And, I mean, Heather spent, Heather spent probably 20-something years trying to fix me, and she finally just gave up. She, she figured, I can't, I can't ever fix him, right? And so Heather can't make me a better husband. Only I can become a better husband. Does, does that make sense? And so we have to right-size the expectations of those. We have all these expectations. I don't even know where we get our expectations from. I mean, I think a lot of it's from media, it's from stuff, but where do we get our expectations from? We have expectations about the cars that we drive, expectations about the houses we live in, about what kind of house we should have, expectations about, about our kids, about image, about vacations that we should take, these, all these expectations. You, you know what I heard this week? I never heard this in my life. So I heard this week that the reason that two kids, you know, I've always heard like the, the you know, and the nuclear family, you know, Two kids, two parents, a family of four. It's like the, what, the perfect family. And you know what I'm talking about? Everything, you guys notice everything's set up for four, right? You go into restaurants. You don't realize that until you have your third kid. And then you're like, how do you live life anymore? Because everything's set up for four, right? Well, I, this is what I heard. I heard that the reason it was set up that way because Disneyland was built around everything being for four people. The rides, the restaurants, everything was around four. So Disney was actually able to impact culture to such a way that two kids became the expectation of what, how many kids people should have, that, that it, the expectation was two. I never heard that. I mean, how ludicrous is that expectation, right? So we have these expectations that we don't even, that, that, that don't even make sense. We have these, these expectations about money, how much money we should make. We just have all these expectations. Yesterday on our way back from Oklahoma, we were eating and we stopped in Joplin and ate at this really fine uh, dining establishment. And, and the, um, the founder of this dining establishment is a philosopher. And so I want to quote one of his sayings. This is what Jimmy John said. Uh, Jimmy John said that the gap between more and enough never closes. The gap that's between more and enough never closes. Have you guys ever experienced that? The gap never closes. But there's all these expectations, expectations for greatness, expectations for fame, 
right? Everybody wants to be famous. I mean, even reality TV. I don't understand reality TV. How does it happen that stupid people doing stupid stuff are famous? I don't get it. I don't understand it. And, and the, all these shows around being great, there's The Voice, there's American Idol, there's America's Got Talent. There's all this stuff, this, this, this claim for fame. People want YouTube channels and Instagram followers. And, and there's just all these expectations that we find in our world today. And I think if we have all these, just, these unrealistic expectations and we, we try to, to, to meet them all, we're going to be like Solomon. It's just like it will come to the end of our life and it's meaningless. It just it means nothing. There's nothing of value to it. The value is found above the sun, above that perspective, on an eternal perspective, not a temporal perspective. I want to read, you what, read to you what Jesus said. This is, this, is, this is an interesting take on this verse. I was, I was just, just ran across this verse and thinking about it. It just says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? You guys have heard this. Maybe you've probably heard this verse before. If your son asks for a bread, will you give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake, right? Of course not. The answer is of course not. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those those that ask of him? Do you notice what he's saying your kids are asking, somebody's asking for? Bread? And fish. You know how basic that is? Bread and fish. A filet of fish sandwich is what it's talking about. I mean, it's just simple. Bread and fish. Just bread and fish. You know, we don't ask for just bread or fish, do we? In our culture, it might be a roll and a piece of chicken. Some cornbread and some chicken, right? We don't ask for that. We're asking for that Starbucks order I read last week that was, you know, double latte, frap, double whip, extra scream, shaken, whatever, you know, the, the, all the extras. I re- last week I read the longest Starbucks order ever. We have the, we don't, we're not asking for fish and bread. We're wanting fine dining. We're wanting, we're saying, Lord, this is what I want. We're asking for golden crusted donuts. Have you heard about that? A place in Brooklyn is selling golden crusted donuts, $100 each. The sprink, I don't know how you get gold to sprinkle, but gold, sprinkled gold donuts. $100 each. They're selling them by the dozens. I mean, and I'm sure people want them GMO free and vegan and paleo and every other way you can make food. You know what I'm saying? There's just the expectations that people have now are just crazy. We're not asking for bread and fish. You know why we're not asking for bread and fish? Because bread and fish doesn't work on Instagram. Bread and fish doesn't work on Facebook. You know what I'm saying? So everything's about image. Everything's about how it looks. That there's, I just, I'm telling you, I know there's some good things about social media, but there's some bad things about social media. And in fact, people's satisfaction, people's level of contentment uh, is tied to the amount of time they spend on social media. And the more time on social media, the more depressed people are, the more anxious. It's scientifically proven because we think people's lives are perfect because people are giving false representation to their life, right? They're not taking pictures when everything's horrible, meaningless, meaningless. I mean, they got the, you know, the coffee or the dessert or whatever, and they got the camera and you got to get the perfect picture, you know, to get it just, just right. You know what I'm saying? And everything has to look perfect all the time. And bread and fish. 
And he said, would you give that to your kid? Absolutely. He goes, but your father in heaven, he's going to give you even more than that. Because he does exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. But when we come with him with just humility, Lord, just some bread, just some fish, just take care of us, Lord. He does. He does that. He meets our needs. That's what he does. Because that's, that's above the sun living. That's above the sun living. And you say, well, what about my dreams? What about my vision? What about the thing God has? The stuff I believe God has. The bigger, the better, the whatever. That's great, right? It's okay. Believe for those things. Ask for those things. I do that. Do that. But, but we, we find ourselves, though, wanting to be content and desiring to be content where we are at the moment. Think of Joseph. Think of Joseph in the, in the Bible when he, was, when he was caught or he was sold into slavery. He was put in the dungeon, Right? He, he didn't understand what was going on. He, 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 didn't, he didn't fully grasp what was happening, but it wasn't going according to his plan. You know what I'm saying? That wasn't on his five-year plan. That wasn't what he had, he had planned out. He didn't know he'd be leading all of Egypt. He had a vision. He had a dream. He didn't know what all it meant. He was in prison. He wasn't believing to be second in command in all of Egypt, but he did know this. He did know that God was with him, and when he knew God was with him, he knew God was faithful and he was faithful to God. And, and, and so he found himself in that dungeon. That was his time. That's what was happening in real life to him. But that was under the sun. But above the sun, God was working all things out together for his good and for his family and for the nation of Israel that would become to be. He was setting it all up. He was working all along. And, and so we needed that above the sun mentality even when we find ourselves under the sun in real time, in real place. Of We have our reality of what we see happening, but then there's the reality of what God's doing above the sun. And so we, that can happen when we right-size our expectations because, guys, it's less about our faith and it's more about his faithfulness. It's more about who he is and what he wants to do and what he wants to do in our life. And so we do. We need to right-size our expectations. We need to expect problems. Do you do that? Do you expect problems? I never expected problems. I've been a naive person. But now I'm middle-aged, right? And I understand now life is full of problems. Boy, I just sound like, I sound like Solomon, don't I? Meaningless, meaningless. Life is full of problems. The Bible promises us problems. He says, you're going to have problems. Expect it. We can expect problems, but we can expect power, right? We can expect, there will be problems will happen. As I told you, my life's not perfect. I know yours is, but mine isn't, right? I expect problems, but I expect the power of God to overwhelm and to take care of those problems. Because what I just read was that he, the Bible says that I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So I'll have problems, but the power will be there to overcome those problems, to work through those problems, to break through those problems. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivers them out of how many of them? All of them. That's right. God delivers us from all of our afflictions. You see, we have problems. We have issues. There may be finance issues. That's a problem. But God has a power that he has said that he will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Right? We may have a problem with our health. But God says, I have healed all of your diseases. Right? We may have problems with anxiety, with, with, with worry. But God says... I can give you my peace with passes all understanding, which will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we have problems, but we have the power to overcome. That's what we should expect, that God will meet us in that moment of our need. 
He will do that. He promises to do it. And so here we have, so here we have uh, uh, Solomon, who is, who's discovered everything's meaningless. I'm talking about right-sizing our expectations. So, so if, imagine this. Imagine if you could do anything you ever wanted. You think that would make you happy? I mean, do you think that would just bring you, that'd, man, that'd be the sweet spot. That would, that would be it. Well, do you know there's parts of the Bible you're not actually supposed to obey? Did you know that? Like when Judas went and hung himself, like you're not supposed to do that, right? Right? Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is another one of those verses that I don't want you walking out here claiming it and then doing it. So, so Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon goes, I said to myself, you anybody here else, you guys talk to yourself? Uh, if you do, you're in good company. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. Doesn't that sound good? But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself up with wine. Good, I'm glad I didn't get any amens on that. And, and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted them. You guys, we will never be able to achieve any level of success that that is what will bring us contentment. Achievement doesn't bring contentment. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves. This is not condoning slavery. Slavery is wrong. This was an economical, contextual thing. And this, it's not right. I'm just, I know we got all kinds of craziness going on with racial stuff in our country right now, and it's wrong. Like any kind of... Um, Racism, it's just wrong. And this wasn't necessarily racist-based, but I'm just saying that. Reject that 100% all the time. I should have gotten an amen out of that. That's all I'm saying. So he bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I mean, this guy's rich. He has everything. I amassed silver and gold for myself. I mean, he had it all. And the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers. He had his own rock band. He got the right music he wanted. I mean, he had everything. He had a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart. I mean, it even gives commentary on the harem. He had everything. That's why we have children's church. So, I mean, he just had whatever his heart desired. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing. Can you imagine that? I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. I think he would have like, died in 2017. There's some crazy stuff out there. So I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything 
was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was to be gained. Where? Under the sun. He could do anything he wanted. There were no limits. There were no financial limits. There were no time limits. I mean, unlimited exploration of everything possible. He tried everything under the sun, and he determined it's meaningless because our contentment, our joy, our satisfaction, our gain, our meaning is not found under the sun. It's found above the sun. It's found in eternal things, not temporal things. That's the difference that it makes because Ecclesiastes in the next chapter says that God has put eternity in our hearts. And so none of these things will ever fill the void that Jesus has placed. He will only satisfy us. We could spend our lifetime trying to satisfy. We could try everything. At the end of the day, we'd say, it's all meaningless. It doesn't work. There's nothing to it. So Solomon did us a favor. We don't have to try everything. We don't have to do everything. We don't have to go after all these pursuits, all these achievements, all these pleasures, all this stuff. Because we know it has no value. We know it has no eternal value. It's fleeting. It's like smoke. It's here, but then it's gone. It vaporizes. It vaporizes. So we come, let's come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 and 18. Paul tells us this. He says, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances. Have you guys ever read verses like this and just said, really? Like, really, God? Always be joyful? Okay, again, I'm the only one that ever has. Or maybe I'm just the only honest one in the room. I don't know. Anyway, always be joyful. Maybe that's just a verse for Jesus. You think that's just for him? No, I think it's for all of us. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. You see, I know it says be. Always be joyful. Always never stop praying. And so I know that sounds like a command. But can I just tell you, I think it's more like an invitation. I think the Lord's inviting us to joy. I believe he's inviting us to a life of joy, inviting us to to not stop praying, inviting us to be thankful in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. We're thankful in all circumstances because this is God's will for us of us, those of us who belong to Christ Jesus. You see, joy is not found living under the sun. Joy is found living above the sun. Because when we're living above the sun, when our view is above the sun, then it's not dependent on the stuff happening under the sun. If everything's under the sun, then it can be controlled by our circumstances, by our situation. But when we live above the sun, that changes everything. That we never stop praying. Right? We ne- you know why we never stop praying? It's because our eyes need to continually be above the sun. Because we live life under the sun. We live life like this, and craziness happens. Curveballs happen. Life is chaos. Life is crazy. Life, we, we, we read about that last week. All different kinds of stuff can happen right? It's crazy. Life is chaos. So that's why we pray, because when we pray, our eyes are lifted, and when our eyes are above the sun, not under the sun, and then we get God's perspective on what's going on in our life, and we're thankful in all circumstances. So I believe we need to right-size our expectations, and we need to upsize our appreciation. That's the second point today. The final point is we need to upsize our appreciation, 
Can you guys just say that with me? Can you just guys, can you just say upsize? Upsize, say my appreciation. Say it, upsize my appreciation. Do you guys remember, I was in like high school, college. You guys remember when McDonald's started doing supersize? Do you remember that? Man, I loved that when I was like a kid. I mean, I can get twice as much for 59 cents more. You bet, right? That's a good investment, right? It changed everything. Once McDonald's did it, then everybody else had to do it, right? And then they got tired of filling up our 120-ounce Cokes, right? And, and so then they put the pop machines out in the foyer so we can do it ourselves, right? I mean, it changed the whole industry when they started upsizing. I believe if we'll start upsizing our appreciation to the Lord, it'll change our landscape. It'll change our life. It'll change our situation. It'll change life under the sun for us when we upsize our appreciation. And how it starts is that we thank God for who He is and what He's already done. You know what I'm saying? We thank God for who He is and what He's already done. You know, if God didn't do anything else for me, He's done enough. You know, you know what I'm saying? He's done enough. He sent his son to die on the cross for me that I could have eternal life, that my sins could be forgiven. He's done enough for me. When my dad left us, when he abandoned us, God was there for me. He was with my family. He took care of us. He's been with me all the days of my life. He's proven himself faithful over and over and over again. If God did nothing else for me ever until the day I die, God has done enough. And I don't think we thank him enough for who he is. I don't think we thank him enough for his goodness, for his mercy, for his love. Right? We're thinking about what's next. We think about what we need. But I think if we would upsize our appreciation and we begin to thank him more for who he is and what he's done, it would change us. It would change our situation. Psalm 37.4 says this is how we do it. This is how we upsize our appreciation. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Find pleasure in the Lord. We don't find pleasure, true pleasure, meaningful pleasure, pleasure that gives us gain. We don't find it in the things of this world under the sun. But when we delight ourselves in the Lord, that's above the sun living, right? That's a relationship above the sun. We delight in Him. We find our satisfaction in Him. We find our value in Him. We find our, our, our identity in Him. And so when we delight ourselves in the Lord above the sun, He will give us the desires of our heart, which are under the sun. You know what I'm saying? We we do this, we pursue him above the sun. He takes care of the stuff under the sun. We seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness above the sun. And what does he do? Everything else he takes care of. But you know what I've discovered about my desires? That when I truly delight myself in the Lord, my desires change. You ever notice that? My desires change. And not only do my desires change, I believe God wants to do exceedingly abundantly above I can, all I can ever think, ask, or imagine. And when I delight myself in the Lord, the life that he wants to give me, the life he wants to give you is actually better than the one you could imagine for yourself. It's actually better. It actually has more meaning. It actually has more value. If we won't focus so much on, on fulfilling our dream, our vision, we'll focus on fulfilling the calling that God has placed upon each one of us as we pursue the calling that he has. Every one of us have a calling. You have a calling. And as you pursue to fulfill the call that God has on your life, it'll be a beautiful life. He'll do amazing above, beyond what you could ever ask or imagine. 
when we fulfill the calling that he has put on us. The Bible says, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. Where's the presence of the Lord? It's above the sun, isn't it? Above the sun is the presence of the Lord, and there's a fullness of joy. So here's four ways, real quick, four ways to, to, to upsize your appreciation. Four ways. Number one, make your disappointment a divine appointment. Make your disappointment a divine appointment. I mean, we have disappointments, don't we? Things don't always work out. When we take our disappointment and make it a divine appointment, everything changes. I remember when, uh, just a few months ago, when Heather was diagnosed with, with cancer. And we talk about disappointment. We got the feedback, we got the results of the biopsy, and it showed cancer. I mean, it was, oh, worst day of my life. And, and as we, Valentine's Day, by the way, um, we got to start doing stuff different on Valentine's Day. You know what I'm saying, babe? So we didn't have anything for dinner that night. And I went to, went to Walmart Marketplace right up here to get something for dinner. And I pulled into the parking lot and I just turned the car off. And I turned that disappointment into a divine appointment. You know, you can have divine appointments with God in a car. Where it doesn't, you don't have to be in church. Be anywhere. I just poured my heart out to God. I just told him what I thought about the situation. I can't repeat some of the words in church. And I just, but it was a divine appointment. God, his grace is available in those moments of disappointment, in those moments of hurt, when we're honest, when we're transparent, when we cut through the fluff, right? And you get down to the heart of what really matters in life, not the meaningless stuff but the stuff of value that matters. Those disappointments can turn into divine appointments. He really does say pray without ceasing. Never stop praying that when those difficult situations happen, we just stop and we just say, oh Jesus, oh Jesus. I reminded myself, Lord, you are good. You are faithful. You are true. You never fail us. I know my situation looks like this. I know that you know this is what's happening. God, I need your help. Help me, Jesus, that we reorientate ourselves and so our world under the sun in time and in space because what time and chance happen to us all, don't they? That when that happens, we have this divine appointment and it raises our eyes above the sun and it impacts, it makes a difference, it changes us. And then I flip the script. Flip the script. That I choose to look at things differently. Have you ever prayed for a new job? Better job? You know, that's a different prayer than praying for a job. You ever prayed for you didn't have a job and you needed a job and you couldn't get a job and you're praying for a job and there was no job out there to be had? How many know that's a different prayer than praying for a job? Yeah. So if you're praying for a job, you flip the script and say, Jesus, thank you for the job I have. You have me in this place right now. You have me where you want me on purpose. You flip the script, right? If you're driving a 2008 Toyota Yaris, which is the smallest car a Toyota makes, right? And you're not content with that car, right? Because you had a truck and in a moment of foolishness, you sold your truck because gas was $4 a gallon. And so you 
thought you were making a good decision for your family if you get a car that make get 40 miles a gallon, right? And so you, you've learned to live with a thorn in your flesh that God's grace is sufficient, right? Not thinking of anything in particular. You flip the script. You say, Jesus, thank you that I've driven this car for eight years and I've spent about 600 bucks on repairs. Thank you, Jesus, I get 40 miles a gallon. Thank you, Jesus, for this awesome car that I can drive my wife all the way to Sarasota, Florida and back for 140 bucks. Thank you, Jesus. This car is awesome. It's a little small, but it's awesome. (laughs) Thank you for this. This car will get me anywhere I need to go cheap and kind of fast. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, I'm not walking. Thank you, Lord, every time I try to start this car, it starts. There's nothing fancy on it, so nothing breaks down. Thank you, Jesus, for a non-fancy car. You know what I'm saying? It changes everything. You flip the script. Your marriage, what an opportunity for God to work. Right? (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, that you've given us an opportunity to seek you, to learn forgiveness, to learn long-suffering. Thank you, Lord, that you're working patience in our lives, right? Because God will use all those things, won't he? You flip the script. And third, celebrate the small stuff. I've learned that this year. Celebrate the small stuff. It matters. And finally, practice gratitude until it becomes your attitude. That's good, isn't it? I like that. Practice gratitude until it becomes your attitude right? You keep focusing above the sun. Practice gratitude until it becomes your attitude. Just keep being grateful. Keep being grateful. Keep being grateful. Keep upsizing your appreciation. Keep upsizing your appreciation, and I promise you, it'll change your attitude. It'll change it. Just like this morning, right? You might not have been excited about being at church because it is a nasty day out there, right? But when you started worshiping, when you got your focus focus off of yourself and onto Him, right? Right? everything changed. That's how it is. That's how it is. And so I believe life can have meaning. I believe life is supposed to have meaning. I believe life is supposed to be full of gain, not, not no gain. What is that? That's not a hair product, is it? No gain? What's that called? Rogaine. Rogaine. That's, I shouldn't make up jokes on the fly. It's not good. No, I shouldn't. Life isn't about no gain. It's about gain. It's about meaning. It's about value. It's about living above the sun, not being focused under the sun, right? And that happens, I believe, when we start getting some godly, godly expectations, not cultural expectations, that the enemy just wants to just, he just wants to discourage us. He just wants to to beat us down, to think our lives are terrible, that we don't have what anybody else has, that we don't have that, we don't have this, we don't have this, and then it spirals. It's all meaningless, meaningless. No, it's not meaningless, right? There's, we're appreciative for who God is and what he's done. We get our eyes above the sun, and then he takes care of everything under the sun. Amen?